You ever notice how many times when somebody else is talking, you start talking? Well, that's what happens. God's trying to talk and we're talking. The only problem is when you start talking, God gets silent. You know why? He's interested in what you have to say. The reason we don't get silent is because we're not interested in what God has to say. We think we know what God is saying. We do. We really do. And the reason we think that is because we believe that God thinks like we think. You start approaching the gates of hell and hell's going to push back. The problem is that we back, when it pushes back, we back up. And God said, don't back up, press forward. Intensify your intercession. Come to the place of greater intercession. Listen to me and pray what I've told you to pray. Begin to release my words in all the earth. Begin to release the words in this nation. Prayer is an essential part of the Christian walk with Jesus Christ. Today's message from Pastor Eddie Mason is all about intercessory prayer. What is it? How does it work? And how does it draw us into a deeper relationship with God the Father? I want to talk to you about the power of prayer. I've been sharing with you now for some time about the power of prayer, but I don't think it's really sunk in. You know, we just don't pray like we should. And one of the reasons we don't pray like we should is because we are so self-sufficient. And self-sufficiency will leads to a dead end. It will not bring you into the presence of God. And so we must move greater in prayer than we've ever moved before. Now is the time. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's today. I just want to recap a little bit. I talked to you a little bit about the types of prayers. Now, I didn't go to any kind of in-depth thing, but I just want you to know there are different kind of prayers. In 1 Timothy 2.1, it says, First of all, then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And so we, we come to this point where we, we want to know and to give these different kind of prayers. There's a prayer of thanksgiving. I put that number one on the list because every morning when you get up, you ought to be thankful for what God's done in your life. Amen? And what He's doing in your life. Then there's the prayer of desperation. How many of you have ever prayed that prayer of desperation? And if you remember what I told you that, I told you how to pray that, is, oh God, help, help, help. That's the prayer of desperation. And the cool thing is he answers that prayer. He answers that prayer. Then there's prayers of supplication to where you're just heartbroken and you begin to cry out. Then there's prayers of petition where you're asking. It's okay to ask God for stuff. You know, unfortunately, we kind of centered on the prayer of petition and we started using our faith to accumulate wealth and to accumulate the things that we wanted, not the things that we needed. And so the prayer petition began to be a very selfish type prayer rather than one of, one of real need. You know, when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't pray anything about the next day or the next day or the next day or the next day. It was a day-by-day petition that went up before the Lord. I'm not going to preach on that. Impeccatory prayers... That's when you either pray for somebody to die or turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Uh, listening prayers. Whew, this one, if we could sell any of them, if we could sell. <laughs> if I could sell you on any of them, this would be the one I'd sell you on. The benefits from listening prayer are so much greater than when we talk. You know, it would be, we'd be a whole lot better off if we listen more than we talk. But we're geared to talk in America, aren't we? We like talking. It's funny sometimes when we go to lunch, uh, I'm not much of a talker. Oh, let me try that again. I'm not much of a talker. Y'all are missing it. But anyway, 
But at lunch, it's a pretty interesting thing, especially when Judy, Joni, and Herman are with you. And so you don't get to talk much for real. But what's interesting is sometimes there are three conversations going on all at one time. And everybody's just talking, and I'm just sitting there, and I am just laughing and laughing and laughing. You ever notice how many times when somebody else is talking, you start talking? Well, that's what happens. God's trying to talk, and we're talking. The only problem is when you start talking, God gets silent. You know why? He's interested in what you have to say. The reason we don't get silent is because we're not interested in what God has to say. We think we know what God is saying. We do. We really do. And the reason we think that is because we believe that God thinks like we think. Turn to your neighbor and say, he don't think like you. I'm just going to leave it there. Then there's, there's prayer of intercession. That's really what I want to kind of hone in on today is the prayer of intercession. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. When we talk about healing too often, we talk about physical healing. But here, uh, the, the reference here in James is to mental, physical, emotional, spiritual healing. He's talking about the context of every part of your being being healed. And so you might not be physically ill, but if you've got faults and you're not confessing your faults one to the other, then there's this thing that's going on that's affecting your spirit. And, and we don't want our spirits affected. We want to be cleansed and walk in the place of pureness and holiness in life. And so we just come to this place of, of having a prayer. And then he says the effectual fervent prayer. And so when I talk about an effectual fervent prayer, when, when James talks about that rather, He's talking about an effective prayer. How many of you like effective prayers? Yeah, me too. Sometimes we don't think our prayers are real effective. But, but James says that the effective, of the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And he says that in this word fervent, what does that word fervent mean? It's passionate. It's firebrand. It's emotional. Now, all of y'all that don't like emotion, you don't like the Scriptures, I can just tell you. Because the Scriptures are filled with emotion. And he said Elijah was a passionate, emotional man. Matter of fact, the Scripture said the tears of the righteous are stored up in heaven. Isn't that something? God must respect those type things. And so he calls us into a passionate pursuit of prayer. Part of, part of what I've taught so far is that that prayer is a means of building closer relationship with the Father and the Son. Prayer in itself comes out of relationship. How many of you were taught how to pray when you were little? Anybody? Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. We had a discussion about that not long ago. It's a wonder all our children, all of us as children weren't traumatized, you know. When I taught, I taught about building a relationship with the Father, and it's out of that relationship with the Father, prayer comes. It's not by road. It's not this, now I lay me down to sleep. That's a wonderful way to get our people, our, our children broken into prayer. Now you can change the words over a little bit if you want to. And then we teach them how to pray, and you know, we pray for mom and daddy, brother, sister, whatever, and went back and through it. And those are good things to do. I, I can remember as a child, I never went to sleep unless I prayed. Because I was afraid I was going to die, and if they didn't take keep my soul, you know, it might not work out too good. 
But so I, I just encourage us to, to move into prayer. The problem that I see is most people have never gone much further than a child's prayer. We pray. We pray simple prayers, but it's not the simplicity that I'm concerned with. It's the heartfelt prayer that I'm concerned with. The prayer can be simple, but if it is not, if it doesn't capture the heart, if it's not captured your heart, why would you expect it to capture God's heart? And you see, we get passionate about things that are painful to us, but God wants us to be passionate about the things that He's passionate about. And so we're called into this place of prayer and to effective prayer. Listening, listening prayers combined with the Word of God, the Bible that is, reveal the heart of the Lord. Do you know I know people in church that have been in church for years and years and years and years and years, and they don't know anything about the heart of the Lord. They're good people. They act good. They're morally all right. But they, they don't understand anything about having the heart of the Lord. They think Christianity is about living a good life, not dying and going to hell, you know, just going to heaven to be with God. And if you've got that settled, then, man, just go for it. And the, other, the problem is, is that we think the Declaration of Independence is the God birth declaration. We, we equate that with the Bible, whether we mean to or not. Let, let, me kind of, let me kind of, that and the Constitution, let me kind of tell you why. How many know we have a Bill of Rights? How many of you know there is no Bill of Rights in the Bible? Okay. How many of you know that in the Declaration it says that we, are to, we, we have the pursuit of happiness? That's not a scriptural thing. But in our nation, we have put the pursuit of happiness above God's name. And God said he doesn't even put his word above his name. I mean, he doesn't. And the only thing he puts above his name is his word. And so we take and we put these things into a different place. And then we find out that praise is a part of prayer. Psalm 149.4, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy in their, in their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats. And two-edged sword in their hands. How many of you got, how many believe God wants you to speak your praise out? Praise is a part of prayer, and he wants you to speak it out. To execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute on them the judgment written. This is the honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. This is the honor for all his godly ones. Are you a godly one? Say yes, amen, I'm a godly one. And so God's ordained that you can release justice in the earth. Now that's just kind of a recap of what I've told you over the last, last few weeks. I want to talk about intercession uh, a little bit, but I want to show you that what I've called, brought to you, Jesus himself taught. This isn't just Eddie. This is in Luke 11.1. 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when we finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Now, on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Our Father. Now, these are two different instances in the Scripture. But he says here, say, Father. The first thing I want you to know is that it denotes relationship. 
He doesn't say just pray. He says pray with an understanding that you're coming to your Father. And so if you don't go in with this understanding, then you might as well be praying to the wind, praying to Buddha, praying to a stick. Listen, he says, pray this way. You want to be effective in your prayer? Grab hold of the idea that you're talking to your daddy. And you're telling him what's going on in your life. And you're going to complain, you can complain to him. Just don't stop in the complaint department. He says, go on. And if you want a good, good model for that, just go back and read some of the Psalms that David wrote. This guy does more griping and complaining than anybody I ever saw, but he never ends one of his psalms that way. He never ends except that he worship and thanksgiving come forth out of him. It never ends that he doesn't say, I want your will to be done in, in basics. And so he starts us off this way of saying, Father, relationship. He wants us to understand relationship. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. The first thing he does, he says, I want you to recognize my relationship. The second thing I want you to do is praise me. Huh? Hallowed be thy name. Hmm. I had a guy come up to me and he said he knew God's name. I said, what is it? He said, Howard. I said, Howard. He said, you know in the model prayer, Howard be thy name. It's not Howard. I asked my kids in, in, uh, in the, the, the Disciples of Jesus class the other night, how many names does, does God have? Any of y'all got any idea how many names God has? Hmm. Minimum, minimum 365. That's, that's, you, can, you, can, you can go hallowed be thy name and take one every day for an entire year and never exhaust. And I want you to know there's more than that. But there's 365 of them. And so he said, hallowed be thy name, holy, set apart. Father, I just, I, I just I want to recognize first our relationship. I'm coming to you as my daddy. I'm coming to you understanding that you have the wisdom and the authority and the knowledge that I need imparted into me. I'm here to listen. Wouldn't that be a novel approach? But that's the way Jesus was teaching them how to pray. And then he says, now I want to praise your name, Father. I want to thank you that you're the healer. I want to thank you that you're the deliverer. I want to thank you that you are the provider. I want to thank you that you are my salvation. I want to thank you that your love is a banner over me. I want to thank you that you are, you are the uh, El Shaddai, that you are the great God of all gods. There is no God that even compares to you. Holy, holy is your name. There's none like you. So he says, first recognize relationship, second recognize praise. What did the psalmist tell us about praise? He says, praise is the way we execute vengeance on the nations. Hmm. He goes on and he said, your kingdom come. Now in the Sermon on the Mount, there's, an, there's the addition in the teaching of your will be done. You see, we say that sometimes by rote because we've learned it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We just, brr, we shoot it out there. And that's not what God intended at all. That's not what Jesus was telling them at all. He wasn't saying pray this way every time. He's saying, I want you to grasp 
what prayer is all about. I want you to grasp that when you pray, first thing you do, watch this now, the first thing you do is you recognize relationship. Second thing you do is you release praise. The third thing you do is you recognize my will. You ask me what I'm doing in the earth, and then you let your kingdom come is to release your justice in the earth. Wow. I could go on, but I don't want to. I want you to go back and study that and see if God won't open up that scripture to you so that you can understand what you're really praying. There's nothing wrong with praying a straight our Father, but the problem is that God intended it to be so much more for us. He wanted us to, to gain some effectiveness out of our prayer. The disciples said, teach us how to pray. What did they see in Jesus that was better than what they had seen before? John the Baptist had taught his disciples how to pray. Now they wanted Jesus to teach them. They had seen an effectiveness in the prayers of Jesus that was unlike anything that had ever happened on the planet before. And so if this is the model that Jesus used, how many think that might ought to be the model that we use? Amen. I think so too. And I think there's something strong about this idea of justice. If you'll go back and you'll study the, the uh, biblical teachings on intercession, they all relate to justice. They all relate to justice. In Ezekiel 22.30, this is one of our main scriptures for intercession, and this is really what I want to hone in on today. It said, And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Turn to your neighbor and say, He found none. Ooh. God said, I'm looking for somebody to stand in the gap. Now, you know what happens is there's a gap in a wall, and so the man decides to take up that position. And why is he taking that position? To protect everything that's on the inside of that wall. Do you understand that is a suicide mission? The man that stands in the gap says, take my life and spare the others. He said, I looked for a man to stand in the gap, but I couldn't find one. And so he goes on, he said, Therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their head, declares the Lord God. There wasn't a man that would stand in the gap. Turn to your neighbor and say, God found him. You know who it is? His name is Jesus. Jesus is the one that stood in the gap. Jesus is the one that said, I will be the one that takes all the wrath of God. I'll be the one that takes all the punishment for sin. I'll be the one that takes the death nail so that you don't have to die, that you can live eternally with me. Jesus said, I am to be exalted. God said, he is the primary intercessor in, the, in all of the earth. It's Jesus Christ. He stands, he sits at the, at the right hand of God the Father Almighty making intercession for who? For me. Oh, maybe you might not say me. Come on. Yeah, me. He's making intercession for me. Why is he interceding for me? Because he's placed me in a strategic time. He's put me in a strategic place and he's called me to bring him glory in the earth. How about you? Come on, say yes. Shake your head. Yes. See, most of us don't know that. 
We've not taken ownership of that. And when you don't take ownership of that, you cannot fulfill what God's called you to be. So we have to take ownership of the fact that God has recognized me, that Jesus has saved me, that I am no longer a creation of the earth. Heaven is my home. This is a sojourning place. And my sole purpose for being here is not to accumulate all the wealth I can accumulate, but my sole purpose for being here is to bring glory and honor and praise to Jesus. Amen? Now, if you accumulate wealth along the way, that's fine. Share a little with me. Amen? There's nothing wrong with wealth, folks. I'm not saying that. But when wealth becomes the pursuit rather than the heart of God, something is out of order. Well, all these rich people. No, let me tell you something. There's a bunch of poor people that they, they lust after money. They're jealous for money. They want some money so bad it consumes their every thought. That's my little sidetrack there. I'm sorry. He said, having found no one, I had, to, I had to pour out my wrath. Now I found somebody. Now he turns to me and he said, will you stand in the gap? Will you stand in the gap? Who am I going to stand in the gap for? Are you standing in the gap for your family? Will you take a bullet for your babies? Will you take a bullet for your wife? People say, yeah. Oh, Nick, Nick Allen one time, he said, dying would be easy. But dying to self, and that means putting their welfare above my welfare, is very, very difficult. Jesus at no time ever put his welfare above the welfare of Israel or us. And we're called to emulate Jesus in the earth, aren't we? And so we, we have to move out of this place of being selfish and self-centered. We have to move into the place of being, God, I want to lay down my life for you. I want to lay down my life for my family. I want to lay down my life for my friends. I want to lay down my life for the nation. I want to lay down my life for the nations of the earth. We get so consumed that there was a bumper sticker out a long time ago that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. One of the things that has happened in our nation is that there are fewer and fewer people that want to leave an inheritance to their children. My daddy came to me one time not long ago, and he said, Eddie, I've spent most of my money. I said, well, I hope so. You've been spending it for 40 years now. Actually, just 30, but still. He said, I've spent all my money. He said, I'm concerned I'm not going to leave you an inheritance. I said, Daddy, let me tell you something. You spend the money. You just stay here and keep speaking blessings over me. You keep, you keep showing me what the God is all about. You keep whispering in my ear that God's got this under control. You've given me an inheritance that I'm passing down to my... You didn't wait till you died to pass it on. You started passing it on when I was a kid. You started passing it on to me, and I'm gonna pa and I pass it on to my children, and my children are passing it on to their children. Daddy, you have blessed my generation, the next generation, and the next generation. That's the inheritance that you have left. Come on. Woo! God. Come on, give God praise one more time. 
Not only did he do that for my family, he did that for my brother's family as well. Come on. Intercession, standing in the gap. Standing in the gap. Right now, our youth need us to stand in the gap. Man, they're, they're striving for it. They're reaching for it. I, I love to see them when they're up here worshiping. I love it when they come up here and preach, when, the, when you guys do that. I love it when they do those things. Why? Because they're striving for that place that God has called them to. And listen, we need to be their greatest supporters. We need to, we need to be there and, and stand in the gap for them because they face trials, things that you and I never even thought existed. It just didn't happen. Those things that, that they are tempted with, when I was born, you know what the number one offense in school was? Spitballs. Can you imagine? Nowadays, they take spitballs, put tacks in them, and call them yellow jackets. That's right, isn't it? Mm-hmm. They take spitballs, put thumbtacks in them, and shoot them with rubber bands. And it hurts. I know I've been hit with one. I was foolish enough to ask the question, what's it all about? And so they showed me what it was all about. Didn't tell, told me, they showed me. Amen. And so here we go. We want to stand in the gap for our youth. We want to be intercessors for our youth. But it's not enough to be intercessors for our youth. We need to be intercessors for this nation. This nation is in an upheaval unlike anything it's ever been in before. And I don't care whether you blame the Republicans or the Democrats. I don't care who you blame for the mess we're in. I'm going to tell you who's to blame. It's Satan. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness in high places. And so our intercession should not be political. Our intercession should be for the release and the, the salvation, the restoration, salvation of our nation based in revival in the heart of God. Don't you know that the Antichrist will come saying peace, peace, and there will be a peace? And people want peace so bad that they're willing to sacrifice everything they've got just to have peace, but they're not willing to go to a place of intercession because when you start interceding, the whole earth begins to get shaken. Things start getting disrupted. The whole earth begins to shake and tremble. Why? Because number one, God's releasing his power and the enemy is resisting his power. When I told you it was a time of the turnaround, if you didn't expect some challenge, you're absolutely crazy. You're going to be challenged when you come in there. There is just no two ways about it. You start, you start charging hell, you start approaching the gates of hell, and hell's going to push back. The problem is that we back, when it pushes back, we back up. And God said, don't back up, press forward. Intensify your intercession. Come to the place of greater intercession. Listen to me and pray what I've told you to pray. Begin to release my words in all the earth. Begin to release the words in this nation. Eddie, do you believe that our prayers can shake a nation? Not only do I believe it, Scripture backs it up. It's not something that's optional. It's expected. Not if you pray, when you pray. That's what he says. So we begin to grab hold of this, this thing of intercession. And he says, it's the idea of standing in the gap. We need to stand in the gap. The Bible said the gates of hell shall not prevail against who? 
the church. What does that mean? It means our intercessor our intercession and our love pierces the gates of hell it's like a leaky sieve man it just starts going in there until those gates are ripped off the hinges and all of all of hell is set free and do you believe that'll happen at the culmination it'll all be set free you'll either be condemned there forever or you'll get to go and be with him forever it's pretty simple but until then, there's a battle that rages. And we have to be on the front line and we have to be doing what Jesus is doing. In James 5, 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Turn to your neighbor and say, you like Elijah. I wonder, wonder why he put that in there. I can tell you why. He didn't want nobody building no statue to Elijah. we tend to elevate people to a place of worship rather than worshiping the one that needs to be worshiped. We tune our hearts and our heads into that. And so he clearly says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I particularly like that last part, will cover a multitude of sins. Because you know what happens to, to grass when you throw a cover over it? It dies. The effects of those sins begin to die immediately. Well, I love the story, don't you? I love this story. Man, we tell this story all the time. Elijah, he hears from God. He starts praying that it's not going to rain. And so he goes to Ahab and he tells him it's not going to rain for, for a number of years. There's not going to be any rain, at least for three and a half years. And then at the end of three and a half years, God tells him, he said, go tell, go tell Ahab that it's, it's going to rain. So Elijah goes and he prays. And then he goes and he tells Ahab, he said, it's fixing to rain. Man, we get all excited because we see that Elijah was a man that spoke to the rain and he stopped it and then he spoke again to the rain and he, he released it. Man, that's incredible. And we get all jazzed about the fact that, that a man could speak to the rain and it could stop or not speak to the rain and not stop and we miss the point of the story. The story's about the drought. Why would God invoke a drought? Why would he want to do that? If you don't read the rest of that, you will miss the point. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You see, the drought wasn't about just putting God's power on display. The drought was to prod people to repent. If what's happening in our nation right now doesn't prod us into repentance, then it will just have to increase. God is calling His church to a place of repentance. And so when we're called into this place of repentance, He sent this drought to reveal their hearts. He sent the drought to awaken them to their spiritual bankruptcy. They didn't know God anymore. 
we see a man in Elijah whose concern for Israel was so great that he didn't care if they suffered in the natural as long as it led to spiritual revival. Huh? I told you before you started this, you don't think like God thinks. God would let a people suffer. He did. Not just once, many times. Why? Because there needed to be repentance. The nation needed to be turned back over. It wasn't just an individual. It was a nation that needed to come back to God, to come into this place of repentance, to come into this place of standing strong in God. And so he said, I want to awaken them. He said, I don't care. Do whatever you have to do. I've told the story before. You know, I've had parents bring children to me, and I'm saying, okay, now I'm going to pray God do whatever he wants to. And their first question is, well, what's God going to do? Amen. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Listen, as soon as I can give this testimony, I want to give it to you. But I'm in the midst of a situation that I'm just watching what God wants to do. I want to fix it. Actually, I'm in the midst of two situations. I want to fix it. And every time I get ready to fix it, God said, take your hands off of it. Take your hands off of it. Take your hands off of it. Turn to your neighbor and say, take your hands off of it. Either you'll do it or God will do it, but it's not going to be both. If you want to do it, God will back off. Am I making sense to you today? Amen. The text in James doesn't say he prayed, but he prayed earnestly. He was so moved by the sinfulness of the nation that he earnestly asked God to do whatever it takes to get his people's attention. You see, we keep praying, God, would you restore it back? Would you restore it back? I won't tell you what, our memory is faulty. Let me explain. When I first moved to McDonough, which was decades ago, I'm riding in the city of McDonough, good old McDonough. It's a great place to raise your children. And right there in the center, right around the square, were these guys wearing white capes and hoods. The KKK was recruiting children. You want to go back to that? You think that was the day? You're, come on. Too much worldly thinking. Too much worldly thinking. God wants a better day for this nation. He wants a better day for the people of God. He wants a, a day of true revival and true repentance. You see, there was an unusual thing that happened in the Welch Revival. When the Welch Revival broke out, there were 30,000 people a week getting saved. It got so important that the policemen could come to the service because they didn't have anybody in jail. The pubs had to close down because nobody was drinking. The, the betting parlors closed down because nobody was placing bets and the major league sports of the time quit operating because nobody was coming to see them. Now you think I'm lying to you, go read about it. Now folks, that's revival. That is revival. You also need to read what happened to revival because it did end. We called into this place what was Israel doing that was so heinous that God would want a man to stand in the gap and pray down a drought? Pray up a drought. Maybe that's a better way to say it. 
What was going on? Turn to your neighbor and say, Baal worship. Say it again, Baal worship. Aren't you glad we don't worship Baal in this nation? Amen. You know what Baal worship is? Child sacrifice. Uh-oh. Millions of children have been sacrificed for convenience. Wait, that's Baal worship. Yeah. That's this nation too. Sexual immorality. Both heterosexual and homosexual immorality was going on. That was the pillar of Baal worship. And pantheism. The idea that the creation should be worshipped over the creator. I read this and so I just wrote it down. The pantheistic worship of Mother Earth has been substituted in name, in name only for radical environmentalism. The Father's looking for a church that will stand in agreement with the Son and pray for the full manifestation of the will of God on earth. What's it going to require to turn this nation around? What's it going to require to turn your family around? What's it going to require to turn your, your, your neighborhood around? First thing it's going to require is a devotion to Christ unlike anything you've seen before, been asked of you. It's going to require selflessness. He says to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Him, put other people's needs above your needs. Boy, that's a novel concept. You've got to want the will of God as bad as you got to want it as bad as Jesus wanted the will of God to be done. I want your kingdom to come. I want your authority poured out. I want justice to flow in the earth. I don't want to see the wrath of God poured out. I want to see the mercy of God poured out. I want to see people with blind eyes open. I want to see the cripple walk. Why? Because it's a manifestation of your authority in the earth. It determines your will. And I want evil to be crushed like a bug. Now, our problem is we equate evil with evil people. There are some evil people, but that's because they've accepted evil as their form of worship and their identity comes out of their definition of, of what life is all about. And so the evil that we see around them, some can, can and will accept Jesus Christ. They all have the ability. But some will say yes. Others, when God crushes like a bud, they'll be crushed because they refuse to bow. Am I making sense to you today? You think intercession is important? It's more important than anything we can do. You can't do it without outside a relationship, and you can't do it outside the Word of God. And you can't even have a relationship outside of the Word of God. Puts His Word pretty high. So you can, we can play our little Christian games if we want to. We can act like we're good Christians because we read our Bible once a day, say a 10-second prayer. And we'll, we'll invoke the name of Jesus from time to time. And hopefully you're not saying, Jesus Christ. If you're doing that, you might as well say GD. It's the same thing. No. First thing I got to do, God, I want to love you. That's the first prayer. Well, I love him. Really? You're in constant communion with Him. You're constantly praying. 
you've decided that his will is more important than your will to be done. If that's so, let your will be challenged in one place and see if you don't buck up like an old wet hen. The feathers on the back of your neck will just go, whew. That starts happening to me and a fence starts coming in and the back of my neck starts turning red. My hair starts standing up and I'm fixing to do something I ought not do. Why? Because I'm being opposed to something that I think ought to be done. Hmm. So God, would you give me a greater love for you? I want to love you. I want to love you more than I love you. I want my life devoted to you, but Lord, I know I can't do that. Holy Spirit, would you just, would you just open up my heart and give me a desperation of love and passion for God? You want a petition? There's your petition. Lord, can I just eat from your body and drink from your blood today? Can I live life today? Can I just spend one day living without my will having to be pushed, my wants being forefront? Can I just live one day and put other people ahead of me? God, would you give me that? I want to eat from your flesh. I want to drink your blood. I want to be consumed by who you are. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.